what happens is you want to be a go-to person. You put yourself in real danger of becoming overcommitted. And overcommitment syndrome is the enemy. If you try to do everything for everybody, you end up doing nothing for anybody. Certainly, you end up disappointing a lot of people. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Hey, listeners of Superhumans at Work podcast by Valley, Giving a quick shout out to our regular listeners. If you're enjoying this content and all the episodes that have been coming up, be sure to leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. And if you're listening on any other platform, do connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Jason Mark Campbell. And let me know what are your favorite episodes? What topics would you like us to bring up? We have incredible guests in the pipeline and we want to interact more with you. So can we bring you the type of content that you're looking for. And so we really appreciate the reviews. When you send those in, we get to reach more people who are looking for this kind of content where they can become superhumans at work themselves. So let's get started with this incredible episode and enjoy. Hey everybody, this is Jason Campbell and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Now the guest that I have today has been in the field of management, entrepreneur, and really showing up as your best self in the workplace since 1995. He is the CEO and founder of Rainmaker Thinking Inc. and has been featured in publications around the world when it comes to really developing the skills that you need to be the best version of yourself as a manager, an employee, and has been named standout management guru in 2009 as a rising star. He's been honored to accept Toastmasters International most prestigious honor, the Golden Gravel. He is a speaker. He is a consultant. He is an author. And his latest book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, is just released. And the copies are doing amazing. We're going to go deeper into the concepts of this book. What does it take to be indispensable at work? What are the secrets? What are the keys? And we're going to go deeper into this topic. Bruce Tolgan is with us today. Bruce, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's an honor. Now, Bruce, you've done so many things. Like I was reading your bio and I found it was the most difficult bio because I was like, I could go so many places. I mean, you're a black belt in karate. You worked on Wall Street. You're a lawyer. Tell us about this journey. How did you end up with you know, the Rainmaker Group and doing all the great things you do now? Back in the early 90s, I was an unhappy young lawyer at number two Wall Street in uh, New York City. And I was running around doing what the grown-ups told me, you know, <laughs> I was a 25-year-old lawyer. So um, I wrote my first book back then. It was called Managing Generation X. And the book just sort of hit a nerve. It was exactly the right thing at the right time, I guess. And people started calling and asking me to come speak to their leaders. And, you know, that was a long time ago. We've been doing research on the front lines now since 1993 on the front lines of the workplace. More than a half a million people have participated in our research from more than 400 organizations. You know, it's 27 years we've been doing this work. So the latest book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, I ended up writing that because what I've been hearing so much from people is that work is becoming more and more demanding. There's so many factors outside of your immediate control. Lines of authority are increasingly unclear. Everybody's trying to do more, more, more with less, less, less. People are trying to navigate this environment. And of course, right now, 
a lot of folks are looking at this economic crisis and thinking, you know, how do I make myself indispensable? So the book is coming out in July. I didn't actually write it for the post-pandemic era, but I sort of might as well have. Yeah, it's actually very timely that you came out with this book. And with all the things that happened since March, at least of 2020, this is a definite trend. I think a lot of people are seeing these, not only did the lockdown and the coronavirus make people be a bit more fearful and realize that, wow, companies went ahead and there were massive layoffs. And then we can just look at you know a lot of future trends. We're talking about automation. We're talking about AI. We're talking about all these technologies that are coming in place that seems to take away a lot of the tasks that most people might be relying on for their income and for their job. And so finding out what skills I need to do, how do I actually remain and thrive within the organization is a really, really relevant topic for the audience here. And so let's go right into that. We're like, if I want to be indispensable at work, I have to admit, one of the first things I thought when I heard the title was, is this a question of defining what are the appropriate skills I should develop? Or is this a book on making me understand how to play politics in the office? And so I'd be curious to hear this. <laughs> well, it's really neither. You know, look, so what the book is based on is all these people in the workplace, I call them go-to people. And what I do when I go into an organization to do a talent assessment, I always ask everybody, hey, who are your go-to people? And who are your go-to people who stand the test of time? And I look for these people who are on the list a lot. You know, who are they? You know, you might think, well, of course, it's got to be somebody with the right technical skills. That's right, of course. And we think of STEM skills nowadays and so on. The thing about technical skills is they become obsolete and you have to keep them up to date. But of course, to be a go-to person, to be somebody who's indispensable at work, you've got to be great at what you do. But those are just the table stakes, you know? We all know somebody who's uh, technically great at their job, but who nobody would want to go to, right? Because of how they interact with other people. So you say, oh, okay, well, so you also have to have a great attitude and be good to work with. Yep, okay. So is that all? Well, no. Again, those are just table stakes. Well, you got to work really hard. Well, sure. So you got to be great at your job. You got to have a great attitude. You got to work hard. That's just table stakes. And one of the things that we looked at was, you know, if you want to be indispensable, right, you want people to go to, then you put yourself in a position where it's very hard to say no. Well, you want to be a go-to person, you better say yes. But if you say yes to everyone and everything, what happens? You end up overcommitted. Pretty soon you're juggling. Pretty soon you're getting in danger of burnout. If you're always juggling and you're always tired, and you're double booked, triple booked. What happens if you're always juggling? Pretty soon you drop a ball and you don't decide which ball to drop, right? You drop a ball and then you, maybe you go to catch it and you end up dropping all the balls. One of the things that we learned, it's a paradox, is that the people who really want to be indispensable go-to people, this is why there's so many wannabes and so many imposters and so many sometimes go-to people and maybe former go-to people. Because what happens is you want to be a go-to person, you put yourself in real danger of becoming overcommitted. And overcommitment syndrome is the enemy. If you try to do everything for everybody, you end up doing nothing for anybody. Or certainly, you end up disappointing a lot of people. So it's more of a conundrum than it first looks. 
So you said politics. Well, we know it's all about relationships. Does that mean you play politics and build personal rapport? Well, no, because building personal rapport and trying to play politics, whatever influence you develop that way, when the work goes wrong, that influence goes right out the window. So it's not that easy. The reason I wrote the book is because it almost seems like an unsolvable puzzle. Mm. As you mentioned this, being the go-to people, I could see how indispensable that is. And if I understand this correctly, a go-to person is whenever anybody has any question about how things work around here or how do we get something done, that's the person who usually knows the answer. And it seems like what you're saying is that if you end up wanting to be that person because you're, let's say, a people pleaser, and I have to admit, I've been in a situation where I've overcommitted. Is that something to balance? Like, as I'm going towards wanting to be a go-to person, what should be my interior motivation to want to do that? Because being a people pleaser seems like the recipe for disaster here. Well, of course you want to please people, but you want to please people playing the long game, not just in the moment. You got to play the long game, but you play the long game one moment at a time by making good decisions one moment at a time. So here's how I would describe the go-to person. These are the people who at work Colleagues are more likely to go to them because they know they can rely on them to get their needs met very well, very fast in ways that improve working relationships rather than damage them. So these are people who you can rely on to help get your needs met. Now, that doesn't mean they always say yes to everyone and everything. What does it mean to play the long game? That means you have to make good decisions every step of the way. So somebody comes to you and asks you to do something, you know, the first question is, can you do it? Do you know how? Do you have the bandwidth? The second question is, are you allowed to do it? Is that aligned with your current marching orders, with your boss's priorities, with the ground rules, and with your other obligations? Once you pass those two thresholds, the question is, should you do it? Can you do it very well, very fast? Being a go-to person is very much about service to others. What drives the go-to person is wanting to add value in every interaction. But that doesn't always mean saying yes, yes, yes. I mean, if you say yes, 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 maybe that feels good in the moment, but maybe you're being a generous fool. You're offering to do something you can't do. If you say yes, 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 maybe you're over-promising, right? It's something that you're not going to end up doing. If you say yes, 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 but the answer should have been no, then you're not doing anybody any favors, right? Sometimes the best gift you can give somebody is a very good no. So it's complicated. I like to say that, you know, these real go-to people, they have enough confidence in their ability to add value in every interaction so that in every interaction, I try to make things better and with the long view in mind. So it's not about badgering or bullying or trading favors. It's not about ingratiating yourself. I call that false influence, right? It's about conducting yourself in a way that in the long game, people have a high opinion of you, that you have a reputation for being businesslike, for being professional, for honoring people's needs, for saying what you're going to do and doing what you say you're going to do. Well, that sounds like an ideal state as an employee. I mean, basically we're talking about someone that's kind of got that it's almost like that leadership characteristic, regardless of where they are in the organization. How do I find myself being 
in a space? Like, is this open only to people who are in a certain management position? Like, how do I find myself, let's say, living to these attributes? And how do I really get started to say like, yeah, this is the kind of role I'd love to have in an organization. This is the kind of, I know this might not be, if your goal should be to add value in every interaction, but there must be also like, okay, somebody personally wants to step up to this level of excellence. How do I get started? Well, you know, adding value in every interaction is how you get started. So think of it this way. Tune into other people's needs. Listen to what they're asking of you. So much of what we say to each other is about asking. When you try to add value in every interaction, what happens is you make the other person you're dealing with more valuable. You make them more effective. You make them better in the interaction. You make things go better also. Everything goes better for both of you, and you build up your reputation as somebody who is service-oriented. So sometimes the best way to add value is to say, well, let's see, that's not one of my specialties. So I could do that, but first I'm going to have to learn how. You know, I'm not going to pretend I know how to do that because I don't want you to know I don't know. I'm going to be candid. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be authentic and say, that's not one of my specialties. Now, that's much better than saying, that's not my job, right? You know, oh, you're not my boss and that's not my job. Well, you're one of my customers, but I want you to know that's not my specialty. Now, if you're willing to allow me to learn and you can wait and you can build in that learning time, hey, maybe this is a chance for me to add a specialty, right? Because when you're spending your time doing one of your specialties, what that means is you know the best practices, you have repeatable solutions, you have job aids. So that something that's your specialty, every minute you spend on something that's your specialty, you're likely to add more value. But look, sometimes people come to you and ask you for something that's not one of your specialties. The way to add value in that interaction is to be really, really clear about, it. hey, that's not one of my specialties, but hey, how about this? I know someone who, who can do that for you really well. And let me tell you what my specialties are so that when you need that, you know, I'm your person, right? Come to me when you need that. But let me introduce you to Ms. X or Ms. Y because she's great at this. You know, that's another positive way to respond. You're always going to be known not for saying yes in the moment, but for always delivering when you say yes. When you say no to somebody, you want them to know it's for good reasons. You want to have a reputation for making good decisions. And when you say yes, you want people to be able to take that to the bank. That's the most important foundational piece of being a true go-to person who stands the test of time. Wow. I really love that model. And I can think of examples where myself, a lot of times with someone, let's say, would be new to Valley, they would find themselves actually coming to me to try to get an idea of how the organization works. And because I've been in here for such a long time and working so many different departments, I would be the go-to person that would have the kind of macro view of the organization. And I'd be known as the sales guy. And I love what you mentioned, which is when you don't have that specialty that you're also very well connected to everyone else and you know everyone else's specialties. And it's almost never a real no, but it's always a no, but here's the person. And so I love that idea that even as you're trying to work smart, you actually are building networking. And it sounds like having an awareness around the organization, how things work, who's good at what involves a lot of listening. So I'd say 
is an active reaching out cross-departmentally, getting to know the people who are the other. It's almost like you're trying to build your network of go-to people within the organization. Is that a bit of the work that gets done? Absolutely. Step one, you've got to align. So you need a vertical anchor. Align with your boss. If you have people who report to you, make sure they're aligned with you. Then you can start going sideways and diagonal. But I always say, you got to know who's who in the zoo. Where do the monkeys live? Where are the birds? Where are the elephants? Where are the tigers? Look, your own best customers are a great place to start. And then you want to have a reputation for being a great customer. That's how you can find go-to people. And sometimes what you can do is help build up new go-to people. You know, that person who says, that's not my specialty, but I'd be willing to learn. Well, you know, that's the beginning of helping build up a new go-to person. Mm. So as an organization, let's say I recognize that there's possible a go-to person within my organization. Is it to my advantage to support, incentivize, and celebrate go-to people? Because I also think of the, you know how there's always a formal chain of command, but there's also an informal chain of command, which seems to be what these go-to people might be involved in. So as an organization, is this something I should be actively promoting? And are there active benefits from having more and more go-to people within my organization? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about an uh, organization like military special forces, for example. You know, we've had a tremendous opportunity over the years to work with the United States Armed Forces. We've worked with Air Force Special Operations Command. And think about the Navy SEALs or the Army Green Berets or Marine Reconnaissance. You know, these are organizations that ever, where everyone's a go-to person. And sometimes, think of it this way, if you're a leader, you say, some of my employees, no, you wouldn't want to go to them. <laughs> you don't want that, right? You want, you want everybody to be a go-to person. And so what that really means is that everybody is approaching their relationships in terms of value adding, that everyone looks at each other and says, not what do I need from you, but what can I do for you? That I want to conduct myself in such a way that other people want to work with me and want me to want to work with them. They want to make good use of my time. So we try really hard to get things done for each other. And then there are really five best practices that we've boiled it down to. You know, that's the mindset is service. That if I approach every relationship in terms of service to others, that's going to be the best way to enrich myself, enrich my colleagues, and enrich the organization. But there are five things you have to do. The first one is align, 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 align. You need a vertical anchor before you can go sideways and diagonal, but try to make your communication structured so you know what are the priorities, what are the ground rules, what are the, the marching orders right now so that you keep everybody aligned. Then the second thing is make good decisions. Get everybody doing due diligence with each other. So when somebody asks for something, help them fine-tune their ask. You can demonstrate a service mindset by really tuning into somebody's ask and helping them fine-tune it. And likewise, when you make asks of your colleagues, make sure you put those asks in the form of a simple proposal. You know, even if it's the smallest thing in the world, just make sure you have the right ingredients so that your ask is clear and straightforward. And then you got to know when to say, no, I can't do that. No, I'm not allowed to do that. No, I really shouldn't do that. Or not yet. Not yet. Or sort of yes, but in two weeks, I could do that. And every time you say yes, remember, yes is where all the action is. Yes is where you have a chance to add value. 
but it's always got to be yes and a plan. Yes. Now let's make a plan. And then work smart by professionalizing everything you do so that you turn things you do. If you're going to do something a bunch of times, turn it into one of your specialties. So you have repeatable solutions. You know the best practices. You have good job aids. And then no matter how long your to-do list, set aside chunks of focused execution time every day, break your work up into smaller chunks and give yourself bigger chunks of focused execution time. So bigger chunks of time, smaller chunks of work. And then, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Bite, chew, swallow, bite, chew, swallow. And then apply continuous improvement to your relationships. So after every collaborative work experience, you know, make sure you celebrate success. What do we do right here? Let's really celebrate that. And then don't point fingers, don't blame, do an after action review. What can we do better? And then look around the corner and plan the next collaboration. That's the kind of methodical playing the long game, right? You got to pace yourself. Being a go-to person, being indispensable is a marathon, not a sprint. You got to play the long game. You got to pace yourself. You got to be methodical. You got to make good decisions and know that when you say yes, you're going to deliver. You will be known for the yeses on which you deliver. Bruce, thank you so much for coming here and sharing the insights from your latest book. For all of you who are in the workplace, you're trying to develop the right skills that are necessary to become indispensable at work, to be the go-to person, to add value in every interaction, and really be able to build this network across the organization where you are constantly knowing when to say yes, when to say no, because every time you say yes, it's like gold, and you know you're going to be delivered something that's aligned with your key skill sets. And every time you say no, it's not about rejecting people. It's not about not wanting to help other people. It's about recognizing where you bring the most amount of value and looking at ways that you can actually maybe help them in different ways, whether it's by referring them to a different person in the organization. And since you're becoming a go-to person, you're already nurturing relationships with all the other go-to people within your organization. And so you might be able to find the right peoples when you say no, that you can refer to so that the right person can say yes. So everyone is more effective. I believe that organizations that make the most of this actually go beyond the traditional way of management from the top down or bottom up. There's a lot of sideways communication that needs to happen because things move fast today and that affects multiple departments. That affects a lot of people. And if you're one of the go-to people that is very well connected within the organization, always delivering an amazing amount of value, taking responsibility, you will be one of these indispensable people. And if you pick up the book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, you are going to have a chance to learn so much more of what are the subtle things you can do to be one of the best versions of yourself, regardless of where you are positioned within the organization. Bruce Dolgan, thanks again for being here and sharing all these amazing insights for everybody here. And all of the listeners, thanks for tuning in. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.